certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. Today, prosecutors closed their case, saying months of evidence has unmasked the Claremont serial killer. And that man is Bradley Robert Edwards. Defence then launched into their final arguments by honing in on the DNA. Welcome to day 90 of Claremont and Conversation. Natalie Bongiolo, Tim Clark and Damien Cripps with us again today. So, Tim, Ms Barbagallo this morning continued to wrap up the state's case for Sarah's murder and, again, very descriptive language this morning. Yeah, it was, Nat. It was um, the, the final flourish, I suppose, the push to the finish line. Um, and uh, when she got there, um, there was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was short and to the point. After 90 days, I suppose, um, she said that all the evidence pointed to Mr. Edwards. None of the ev- evidence didn't point to him, um, and she returned right to the start of 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 the case more than six months ago by again referring to this um, enigma of the dark is, is how she described it all those months ago in that there, were, there was someone out there in the dark taking these women and killing them and uh, for 25 years or so um, it hadn't, no one had known who that was and, mm. and she then said the case had incrementally shone light onto this enigma of the dark and ultimately, she said that the light had unmasked who that enigma of the dark was. Uh, and she said everything pointed to it being Mr. Edwards. And she, she described him as a 27-year-old seasoned predator. Yeah, uh, and that was in the context of when Sarah went missing. Um, so the first in, in time of these murders. But she said she was able to say that because... The whole story is now uh, out in the open, and by that time, he had broken into the house in Huntingdale, attacked a woman at Hollywood Hospital, and then in 1995, raped the lady in Caracatta. So that was where she got that seasoned predator line from, because even by the time the first murder had occurred, Mr. Edwards had honed his skills, was how she described it, um, ha- had become more calculating, um, more predatory. Um, and, and that was when, at that point in time, he pounced and they say took Sarah off the streets of Claremont and killed her, dumped her body um, so well that it's never been found. And then in the span of 14 months, was uh, killed um, twice more. Um, so, yeah, it was... It was it was pretty compelling stuff and uh, a journey that Miss Barbara Gallo was, had, had been on as well as everyone else mm. um, and finished it with um, authority um, to say that she she was sure that um, with, the, with the help of the police that, that the case had unmasked the killer. And as she has been over the past couple of days, or as he has been over the past couple of days, did Justice Hall question, um, you know, the scenario that the state was putting forward in terms of the abduction and murder of Sarah Spears? 
Yeah, um, on, a, on a few points. Um, in, in particular, we returned to the screens and what he was to make of that. He returned to the um, line of reasoning that he's, that he's been asked to, to take um, to uh, conclude that it was one person that did these crimes. Um, and he also returned to the general picture, the, you know, the, the overall picture and, and, and how, he's, how he's to come to that um, conclusion. Um, so, yeah, there was, some again, some rigorous testing um, of the scenarios and the theories and the conclusions that Ms. Barbara Gallo was asking him to reach. Um, and, again, then in the afternoon when we got to Mr. Jovic's turn, um, he, he, he did a similar thing. Um, he let lines of argument develop but then was very quick to pounce on them um, after they had developed and to test them and to, to test the lawyer that was giving them to him. So um, as as much as the, the case has been an examination of the evidence, I think the last week has been an oral examination of mm-hmm. the two lawyers involved because um, Justice Hall hasn't been shy uh, in, 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 in putting these questions out there and um, testing the theories on the fly, if you like. And and did he sort of, I guess, um, was he specifically saying, you know, uh, what are the possibilities that uh, someone else other than Mr. Edwards could have abducted and murdered Sarah Spears? Yeah, well, it was it was that question posed slightly differently in that he asked Miss Barbagallo, well, look, if I am to find that um, one person has done all these crimes. What, what, what is my pathway to doing that? Um, and Ms. Barbara Gallo's answer was, was simply, well, yeah, uh, logically, um, you have to find the, the, the similarities in, in Jane and, and Kira's cases first, um, take you um, part of that way, um, and then you have to go another step, I suppose, and, and, and find that the similarities... Um, overlap in terms of, of Sarah because obviously there's no body in in, mm. in that particular case so the so the physical similarities if you like in terms of wounds and in terms of um, forensic evidence in Kira and Jane aren't there um, but the other similarities the prosecution pointed to they say they are um, so yeah we, I mean and we've talked about it previously this week about the sort of reverse propensity if you like so you take the the crimes that were, that were actually done later in time first uh, and do those because they are um, as Mr. Jovich pointed out they are the stronger cases um, because there's more evidence and physical evidence to go with um, and then you um, uh, and then you extrapolate backwards um, to, to see well you know can I be can I be confident that that one person um, has done it all and if I am then is that person Mr. Edwards um, in terms of Sarah as well Damien, this is pretty crucial, isn't it really? Because this is going to come down to, you know, Justice Hall's consideration on all three counts. Absolutely. I think um, the the fact that he's asking questions like this gives both the defence and the um, prosecution a really good insight into where he's at. Um, Even though uh, um, the prosecution and defence are advocating for um, different parties, if you have it that way, mm. essentially prosecution, defence, and the the um, the judge are all working 
to some extent, for the court. So they're, they're all trying to come to a satisfactory result. And even though whatever his findings might be might not fall in line with the prosecution or they might not fall in line with the defence, they are still all trying to work together to get to the best possible result they can get to. So I think that it's it's a really good sign. Not that what I think really matters that much, but it's a good sign that he is asking questions of the prosecution and of the defence as well. And we've been discussing how um, just how detailed this questioning has been during the closing submissions, which, you know, is quite interesting and, and maybe more so than usual. Well, it's interesting that question Tim was just talking about then when he um, indicated that Justice Hall had said to um, Miss Barbagallo, if I was to find that Mr Edwards is is guilty of all three, how do I get there? It's kind of an interesting interesting question because if you – I mean, it's not the same, but it reminds me, you know, of – you know, when you're in school and you potentially give a wrong answer to a teacher and the teacher says, well, this is interesting. How do you propose it is you get to this answer? I mean, <laughs> that, when, when Tim said that, then that's what came to my mind. And I'm not suggesting for one second that that, that is the way that Justice Hall is putting it. But, you know, he could simply be sitting there and saying to the prosecution, and, and I emphasise could, because, you know, I can't read, I can't see inside his head, but he could be sitting there and saying, you know, I'm giving you the opportunity now to help me out because I'm not sure that I can get there. So yes. tell me what the pathway is. Um, and, or, you know, he could be sitting there and going, the other thing is he could be sitting there thinking, oh, I've got a pathway. I know how I'm going to get there. But I just want to check that we're on the same path because, I, you know, it would be terrible if I found a different way or, you know, something to that effect. But it, it is a really, I think it's a really good insight into what where he's at and, and, and what's happening in the case. Um, that question there that Tim just raised, I really made my ears prick up and I went, oh, okay, that's, that's a really good question. Yeah, I mean, the classroom analogy is perfect. It very much does seem like that. Uh, Tim, Miss Barbagallo returned to the police recorded interview. What was mm-hmm. her summary about that? Yeah, I mean, it was quick. Uh, the summary on this part of it was quick and it was brutal, to be honest. Um, we, we heard a lot about the interview leading up to it and we talked about a lot, a lot about it when we actually saw it. Um, but Ms. Barbara Gallo today um, didn't spend long on it, but the time she did spend um, left you in no doubt of what she she thought of it, and she said the judge should make of it, and that was that it was a, a plethora of, of lies from Mr. Edwards, not only about the, the crimes that he has now admitted to, um, but also about the murders, and she said you can look at the way that he lied about the, the rape and the breaking at Huntingdale, crimes he's now admitted and then compare the reaction he had to when the uh, accusations of murder were put to him and there was they were indistinguishable um the lies that he told or the or, or the way that he reacted to those questions and so um uh, miss Gallo said um the, the the ease with which he lied about all of those things should be taken into account and it should completely um, obliterate his credibility in terms of his denials. Um, one interesting point, which Amy might be able to um, expand on, was that there was to be a reliance on a consciousness of guilt lie and amid the, the interview, but Ms. Barbara Gallo today said, now we don't want to rely on that. We just want to say to Your Honour, all those um, statements by Mr. Edwards our lies can be found to be lies and then go to his credibility and so anything he, he says over and above 
that in the interview, Your Honour can discard and simply just look at the evidence that w- that we've given you, um, rather than take Mr Edwards' word for it. Mm. Yeah, well, so Tim, there's so many tactics and strategies um, that would be at play in amongst all of that because uh, just like in life generally I, I guess that in law you know every action has a reaction so if if um, the prosecution said to his honor we propose that you rely on that lie as as evidence of consciousness of guilt there'll be a there'll be a reaction to that. There'll be something else going on behind that as well. And 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 that's potentially why they've decided not to ask him to rely on that. And for anyone who who doesn't, who's not across that, I mean, it is a, quite a complex um, concept in a trial. Essentially, if you can show that somebody has lied, um, then it, it goes to their credibility. And obviously in Mr. Edwards' case, it's a glaring issue is that he'd previously told um police that he hadn't had anything to do with Huntingdale and the Karakata and then of course he pleads guilty at a later time um, and and that you know there's this glaring issue about him lying and that's what the consciousness of guilt is it's that the, the statement means that the reason you've lied is because you know you're guilty and you have to lie to cover up your guilt that's as simple as what it means but the law also allows for that people lie for a myriad of reasons and a lot of reasons people lie people panic people don't have good reactions to things. People don't know how to answer things. So, and look, this is not me saying that that's what uh, Mr. Edwards was doing, but there's a number of reasons why the prosecution might have said, look, we don't ask his honour to rely on that as a, uh, a consciousness of guilt uh, lie, because there might be a number of other reasons that they foresaw that the defence would be able to say, no, he he lied for this reason or whatever the reason might be. So, but there, there's some, you know, just from me sitting here listening to Tim. I'm explaining what's going on. There's a, there's a lot at play. There's a lot of um, tactics, at, but it does seem to me like the three of them, the prosecution, the defence, and the, the the court are working together as a team um, quite well, and 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 that's a real positive for the people of Western Australia, I think. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a point that many many people have been intrigued about, and it's really that question of you know is it is the onus on the defendant to show reliability. A reliability in what sense, Nat? As in credibility, to show well, he that he's had, a credible... Um, well, he didn't give evidence. That's right. <laughs> so, well, there's no need to rely on any... You know, I mean, I guess in, in his, if, they, if, if, the, if the judge was trying to fi- make a finding about a fact that he needed to rely on to solve an issue in the trial, and the only thing that he had was something that came arose out of a police interview that Mr Edwards might have given then obviously credibility, his credibility in that interview would, would be in, in question. But, I mean, ultimately, there doesn't seem a whole lot of um, credibility questions in, no. in relation to Mr Edwards. I mean, it's, it's, he, he denied, um, he's denied these crimes and he's pled not guilty to them. And, I mean, you have to read it as, as uh, the, the, the way the, prosecu- uh, the defence is set at the moment is. They're satisfied that the prosecution haven't proved beyond a reasonable doubt and therefore they don't need to say anything. Mr Edwards doesn't have to rely... He doesn't need to show in the context of his evidence that he's a reliable witness because he didn't no. give any. Yes. Um, and I don't, I don't think that he's in a very good position to say too much to, or, or I don't think Mr Jovic is in a great position to say too much about his credibility at all. If it was me, and I, I'm not him, and I keep saying that because um, obviously what I hope all the listeners understand is that 
the lawyers that are in this case are the highest lawyers in the state. They are, you know, the greatest advocates that are that are going around in the state at the moment. So it's I only try to put my myself in their position. And what I would do as officer, Mr. Jovic, I wouldn't. I would try to not address it at all. I mean, unless I mean, and the judge will ask him. The judge will say to him, "Well, Mr. Jovic, what do you say that I do with Mr. about Mr. Bradley's credibility?" I'm sure he will ask. I'm right. sure it'll come up. Yeah, you know, if he if he doesn't address it, um, so it's a bit of an it's a bit of an, a good question that because um, you know he's in the in the context of the trial, he's not really relying on anything he said. That's right. Yeah, it's very interesting. Now, Tim, yesterday you said that you would be watching Ms. Barbagallo's face very closely to see if she had a puff of a relief. What did she say? Well, I mean, the very last statement was um, as stark as you could possibly put it, really, Nat, and it was, we say, Bradley Robert Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, um, which is... After near, more than ten thousand pages of of transcripts, two hundred witnesses, Lord knows how many hours in court. That's all she really needed to say to sum up the case, because that is what she has been saying all along. Um, she then said, "If it pleases your honour," um, and sat down. And you know, half of you expects a round of applause or <laughs> even a ripple of, of applause but Justice Hall being Justice Hall didn't give her much respite because then he immediately launched into well now Miss Barbara Gallo I want you to comment on this and, and then he launched into all the instructions and directions oh. he's going to give himself before he sits down to ponder the verdict and that is matters of law that is um, well, there's, there's something called a Longman direction, which goes to um, uh, ancient sort of historic um, crimes and, and, and what that does to the fairness to the accused. And, and there are all sorts of bits and bobs of law and um, directions that he will give himself, which probably sounds a little bit strange to, a, to, to the layman listener. But if you can imagine there was a jury there, then obviously the judge gives directions to the jury on the law because he is the arbiter of the law. But in a case of a judge alone trial, uh, the judge has to then sort of formally remind himself of, of all the things that he's got to do as well. And this goes a little bit to notions of any, there might be an appeal down the track. And so, yeah, Miss Barbara Gallo was given about five seconds of, um, of, of, you know, silent admiration in the court. And then he just launched into something <laughs> else that she had to think about. So, but look, I bumped into her at, at lunchtime and she was quite happy to admit to me that she was tired, that she was a little bit angry, that she was relieved, that she's obviously been burning the midnight oil, literally yeah. burning the midnight oil to get it all, uh, get, to get her case together and to get it done. And now she has done um, the bulk, the massive bulk of her work. And now it's obviously um, Mr. Jovic's turn. Um, and, um, and and that's where we went to for the, you know, the hour before lunch and then the, the couple of hours um, this afternoon. And how did he begin his submissions? Um, well, quite sort of um, pointedly and simply. And, and uh, as Damien said, credibility is of, of Mr. Edwards, what, what Mr. Edwards has said over the journey is not really an issue in this trial. Identity is the issue in this trial and always has been because Mr. Yovich says, well, look, it's just, it, it wasn't him. It, was, it just was not him. 
um, and we say that the state hasn't proved it's him. Um, and he opened up with a couple of of his own scenarios and and, and you know, laying the seeds of doubt, I suppose, or trying to lay the seeds of doubt for Justice Hall by saying, "Well, look, uh, take Kira for instance. Take Kira's body for instance. There were nine hairs on Kira's body." that were found and examined and sent away to be examined. Um, they weren't his, and they're not Mr. Edwards. The mitochondrial DNA testing says that to us. And so who's are they? Um, and that was, he said, well, you know, Ms. Barbara Gallo says it doesn't help you get anywhere, but we say, well, it might not get help you to get to Mr. Edwards' guilt, but it might certainly help you cast some doubt on that guilt because any nine of those hairs could have come from the killer. Mm. And some of those hairs were, in fact, found um, in, Ms. in Kira's underwear, on her bra, a bra and in her underwear, um, which Mr. Biovich suggested might preclude that, they, that, that they'd come from an innocent contact at the Continental Hotel or at, at work in, in the day before Kira um, went missing and was ultimately found dead. Okay. He then went to as we expected he might, the DNA. He said the DNA is a, a massive part of uh, a huge, crucial piece of evidence. And he pointed out that um, through the testing and through questioning of the people who'd done the testing on that DNA, that it was one-fifth of one billionth of a gram, uh, one-fifth of a nanogram, this, 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 um, this tiny, tiny fleck of DNA that is, that is so crucial to the case. Um, and to put that into context, um, a grain of salt is, uh, I looked it up, I Googled it, I didn't know this off the top of my head, but a grain of salt is 665,000 nanograms. So you can, you can imagine how small that, that piece of DNA that was eventually pinned on Mr. Edwards was. And, and, and Mr. Jovic said, you know, it's such a big piece of the case and such a small piece of molecular material. What's to say? We say that it that it didn't get into that pot um, by a mistake. And then that was the that was the, the you know the main plank of his arguments this afternoon was pointing to the pot that the the AGM forty the, the the yellow top container pointing to some of the maybe sloppy um, practices at Pathwest in terms of documenting um, uh, pieces of evidence. And he pointed to the continuity of that part. He said there was a gap. There is a gap in the timeline. And there is what is to say that that pot wasn't opened at some point um, without it being recorded. And then what is to say that that wasn't the moment that a mistake might have happened. Now, obviously, they are, they all, they, these are all theories. But he's saying that there are theories that Justice Hall should consider, um, given um, some um, gaps um, in the evidence that Mr. Jovic intends to, to, to go to in the next couple of days. So there was no disputing that the profile of the DNA belonged to Bradley Edwards, but that how it got there is problematic, you know, due to sloppy procedures at Path West and what have you. Was there any suggestion that there had been any, um, you know, deliberate tampering with anything? No, and and, and Mr. Yovich was, was emphatic and... Um, multiple times said we don't suggest that this was planted or we don't suggest this was anything other 
down a, a mistake. Um, he did say, look, if you were going to go as far as, going as far as you could, you could say, well, the police in the late 90s had made a connection between Karakata and Claymont. Um, that became clear um, as the evidence rolled out. So there, there might have been a pass, a fleeting moment that it, that it would have crossed the police officer's mind um, that those two cases could have, could have been linked um, uh, and could have been linked, you know, in a in a dastardly way, if mm. you want to put it like that. But they said, we don't say that happened. We can't prove that happened. There's nothing to point that that ever did happen. Um, and so what they're saying is it's very likely it is Mr. Edwards' DNA. We question how it got there, um, and we question the prosecution's theory that it got there when Mr. Edwards was scrapped by Kira as she fought for her life. Okay, so I'm curious, did Justice Hall also then um, ask for uh, an explanation by the defence as to exactly how they may have thought the contamination occurred? Well, he did. He said, well, look, if I, if I do take your theory on board that AGM 40 might have been opened at some stage and not recorded anywhere, there's still is the question of what is the source of that mm. potential contamination. If, if you say Mr. Edwards' DNA flew in there um, or dropped in there or um, somehow, where's it come from? And Mr. Jovich had to um, concede to the court and to Justice Hall, well, there is no provable source of that DNA. He said that. But then Justice Hall almost reminding himself, but also reassuring Mr. Jovic said, but I acknowledge it's not your job to do that. It's mm. not your job to prove that there is a source, but I have to raise the question because that is a question that is, that, 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 that is natural after you make those, um, that possible assertion. So it was, um, yeah. And, and as I mentioned right at the top of this episode, Justice Hall has spent this week, testing those theories over and over again and in different ways with different questions intelligent questions sharp questions questions that wouldn't necessarily occur to someone um you know not not as across the case and as and it's not as acutely aware of all the issues as, as he is um and yeah it was mr yovich's turn this afternoon and will be um tomorrow and probably monday as well damien it's so hard to weigh it up, you know, when you're listening to all of this, because on the one hand, you know, if the defence can't give a provable source, but then on the on the flip side of that, is that enough to say that there's reasonable doubt? As Again, I say I always get the good questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's the question that Justice Hall has to answer, not me. I know, but, I know, but it's very hard to grapple with. And, you know, in, you... <laughs> in this forum, like, I, I will take the question on board this way that when Tim was explaining it just there and I was thinking about it and how many times as a lawyer you come across that that conundrum that you know okay well that's an immeasurable thing how do yeah. I how do I work out what the measurement is I mean it's so easy for someone to say well you know this is 50 foot or this is 10 inches well this, this is not this is something where we're saying okay well the prosecution have to prove this beyond a reasonable doubt and has it reached that point oh, I'm kind of feeling like it might be, but hang on a sec. What did the defence say about where that contamination might have come from? The first, the problem is, 
we don't have a measurement for what's beyond reasonable doubt. Yeah. And we don't really have a measurement to say whether the defence have to answer that, as Tim pointed out. But as Justice Hall rightfully said, you know, I've got to ask the question, do you have any theories about that you want to put forward as to... Because if you could, you know, if you could say, well, that contamination happened on this day because we saw the evidence, you would say it. You would absolutely say it because it, it's something that then it's on the evidence and it's something that the, that the court, you know, should not, you know, should be reminded of and should not be overlooked. So it's, yeah, it is, it's, it's always a conundrum in this environment because, um, the, you know, you don't have measurements. I mean, what happens in some of the um, appeal cases, which is really helpful and, and, and um, is that they tr- judges, when they're making decisions on appeals, they'll try to break things down. Like they'll try to give, um, you know, people who are working after them some indication of what the measurements are. And when I say measurements, I use that term loosely. They'll say, you know, for instance, if if a witness gives evidence and you believe the witness, well, then you must acquit them. Because if you believe their version of events, then that's, you must acquit them. But if you, if you believe a part of what they say, well, then you still should acquit them because that's a reasonable doubt. But if you don't believe them at all, well, then you should just put their evidence to the side and then you should find out if you're still satisfied beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, that's, um, that's from a case. And it, and it just, if you can see, it gives you an incremental measurement of how you might make those determinations. Um, but in this, this the, the one about reasonable doubt, there's no guidance. This is, it, it, it means, in, in law, it's described as meaning what the words mean. So, you know, if, you, you know, if you've got a reasonable doubt, whatever that may be, well... He, you must acquit. That, yeah. That's as simple as it gets. So does it really mean that the defence have to show a, a a theory on the contamination? I would have said no, but if they had one, you'd be jumping up and down about it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's why we're all, you know, just hanging on every single word here because, you know, sitting back, it, it's, it just seems almost impossible to answer this question. It's a very difficult question. And, and so, Nat and Tim, could I uh, – well, Nat, can you tell me how many days into – how many – what podcast number are we up to now? 90. <laughs> so, we're up, to, we're up to podcast number 90. Yes. And we, we've had – an abundance of listeners, and there's interest worldwide. Not, not, not necessarily in the podcast. It's in the case and what's going to be the outcome. And it's a question that I put. Um, I, I would have thought about two or three months ago, and I raise it again now as we trundle towards what, <laughs> what is the finish line. Are the people of Western Australia ready for Mr. Edwards to be acquitted? That's what the question that everyone should be asking themselves. And I'm not saying that he's going to be acquitted. Don't misinterpret that. Mm. But, I, I, I mean, have, have Nat and Tim, have you guys asked yourselves that question? Do you think the state of Western Australia is ready for him to be acquitted? Or, do you, or on the flip side, do you think they're ready for him to be um, found guilty? Or do you think the state of Western Australia, do you both think the state of Western Australia are just happy that this would be finally over and we'd get an answer? Well, I think mm. they, they... I get all... I, I, yeah, I, that's, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I've thought about, I've thought about it a lot. Um, what would like what 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 would the fallout be um, on either side? Um, personally, I think people will be a lot more comfortable if Mr. Edwards was found guilty of one or uh, multiples of the murders. Um, I think that would be easier for them to to um, to process. Um, but 
it, it, the prospect of uh, acquittal, you know, uh, it has to be there. It has to be there because we've, we've talked about it for, as you say, Damien, 90 odd episodes. And I don't think anyone, would, any one of us would be comfortable coming down with a verdict one way or the other, even now, even though, even uh, as, in, in as much detail as we've studied the case. So, yeah, I, I've said it before. I'm, 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 I'm glad Justice Hall's doing it, and, yes. and, and not me. That's it. And I think you know, you hear people use the word closure, but what that closure means and how they'll react to that is something we just don't know. Well, Nat, can I just say something very briefly about that? And, and I think it's really important for everybody to remember this, that this court process that's going now to try to determine the question of whether Mr Edwards is guilty or not is the process that, that is ours. We, it's evolved into this system that, that, we, that it's our system. That's what we have. And so what we are relying on is that the best system that we have is going to provide us with an answer. Now, when we get to the other side of it and it provides us with an answer and we might not like the answer or we might love the answer, whichever it may be, let's say, for example, if he's acquitted, I would encourage people to understand that that's not necessarily um, downplaying the tragedy that is these three women. It's not. It's just that, that it might be the case that they just can't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And, and that's not to say that Mr Edwards did it. But the, the court system is still just a system and it's not in, it's not flawless. It's still, I mean, like we just discussed before, it's immeasurable to say what beyond reasonable doubt is. And you can't, you know, to say, well, he was, if he was acquitted, not saying that he will be, if he was acquitted, then it doesn't necessarily mean, God forbid, that he, di he didn't do it. What it means is that the court couldn't prove it or the prosecution couldn't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. I and mean, there's a there's a whole bunch of other things that play out in that in, in that um, scenario as well, whether he's acquitted or found guilty. It's just our system, and it's a really good system, and it's the best system we've got. And and you know, right at the minute, minute the, my feeling is, I'm watching our system work really hard at the moment to try to give the people of Western Australia um, an answer. And and like Tim said, some closure it might not work, but you know, here's to us all hoping that it can. Yeah, and we are getting ever closer uh, to that resolution one way or another. Thank you both very much for your time today. Uh, Tim will be back tomorrow, correct? Mr Jovic yes. will continue his closing arguments. Yes, um, just uh, another half day tomorrow. Um, Matt, uh, Justice Hall, I think, has taken pity on all of us and said we can have <laughs> an early mark um, because Mr Jovic, even if he went till um, uh, the end of the day, wouldn't finish. So, yeah, it's been a long week. It's been quite a dense week, intense week. Um, so, yeah, little little moment to catch our breath tomorrow afternoon. And then, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll probably, maybe, don't hold me to it, maybe <laughs> on Monday. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you both and thank you for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow for day 91 as we wrap 23 weeks of Claremont in Conversation. This podcast is hosted by Natalie Bongiolo, produced by Kate Ryan and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. And if local news delivered differently appeals to you, tune in to WA's newest morning show, The West Live with Jenna Clark. It's talkback radio, but without the interruptions. Listen live weekdays from 8.45am on thewest.com.au or catch up with the podcast.